Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 121 of Midweek Metagame. I'm HaramTG, only joined by one of my regular co-hosts this week, Gabriel Nassif. Hey, everyone. And we're also joined by a very, very special guest. I'm sure you all know by the clickbait title for this episode. We are joined by the Neon Dynasty champion, Eli Cassis. How's it going, man? Yes. Um, yeah, we're really happy to have you on the podcast. As you know, everyone should know, you did win the most recent championship this past weekend. So obviously this week, we're going to be talking about your tournament, Gab's tournament, and everything Alchemy and Historic, which is going to be really exciting. Um, but before we get into that, as always, the podcast is brought to you by Card Market. Those who know what Card Market is, it's a marketplace online to buy anything Magic Gathering related. Deck boxes, singles, accessories, play mats, everything. Go check out Card Market, and it doesn't even have to be for Magic the Gathering. It can be other card games. And as well as if you would personally like to support the podcast, best place to do so is at patreon.com slash midweekmetagame, but no pressure to do so. Anyways, you know, with the special guest, uh, Eli, having you on the podcast, I'm sure, you know, there might be a few people who aren't aware of who you are besides being a pro Magic player. So I guess why don't you start off by introducing yourself and uh, letting us know where we can find you on the internet and also kind of, I don't know, anything you want to highlight in your pro Magic career before this? Sure, sure. Um, Eli Cassis, and uh, I've been playing since 1993. So going on 30 years on the internet, you can find me on Twitter. And since I'm old, you can also find me on Facebook. <laughs> I learned from a client uh, this week, actually, that asking them, you know, if they're on Facebook was actually ridiculous because no kids are on there apparently anymore. He told me Oof. so I'm catching up to the times. But uh, let's see, you wanted to know about my magic career? Yeah, I, I think just anything that, um, you know. You you want to talk about really about yourself before we get into your sure. uh... yeah when I when I started obviously it was like only local scene the pro circuit hadn't been created yet but I uh, started traveling with some friends we would like caravan to tournaments you know pre internet era and just found it like a lot of fun and interesting so I really dived into it threw myself into it even my mm -hmm. friends would come over and we would just play nonstop testing again and again which. You know, at the time, the set that was out was revised, I think. So a lot of third edition. We'd open up packs left and right. I can't tell you how many underground seeds I've opened out of the booster pack. Wow. Really, really wish I hung on to. I used to buy a booster box probably every week for probably like a year or two, all revised. They were 50 bucks back then, and I was a little bit spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> now, they're, now they're just worth so much money. Uh, in 1996, I won my first PTQ. Uh, 13 went to the pro tour uh in california and finished in 52nd place so i cashed barely though it was the min cash it was like 500 but i think that was like the first taste of what got me like really hooked into it and wanting only more out of it so uh, i qualified again and again for a while and i took some time off while i was in college and then grad school i'm a psychotherapist i have a private practice mental health counseling and uh, then as soon as I was done with that portion of it and I could dedicate some more time back to my hobbies, then I jumped right back into it again, which I want to say was around 2008. <clears throat> and then I uh, started playing Grand Prix, uh, started doing decently towards the middle of the 20 teens and uh, finally top aided my first Grand Prix in Charlotte playing uh, Bant. Uh, man, what did they call that? 
version. It was the Coral Helm Knight of the Reliquary combo. Uh, Nightshade, that's what it was. And uh, this is like right before Spell Queller came out. So it's like the old, old versions of it. And uh, that deck kind of put me on the map to start. And uh, yeah, that's that's how my career started, I guess. Oh, sick. yeah. So you're balancing, you balanced being a psychotherapist plus being a magic pro for a while. Is that something that you still do? Yes, I, I work 10 hours before this interview. Uh, I've been working 40 to 50 hours a week doing it. I manage a staff of 10 and uh, yeah. I've got my hands full. I have two kids, and I have another kid on the way in June. So free time is uh, not a luxury I'm used to. Yeah, it's impressive how you and other people who have full-time jobs make it work and manage to have good results and play at a high level. You know, Sperling, too, was like that, except he didn't have a a family yet. He has, he has a kid now. You have two kids, right? Two kids, yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's sick. Yeah, I remember when I heard about you the first time. It was when you were crushing with KCI. Yeah, and and, and I just assume like, uh, you know, I guess this guy's just like kind of one trick pony. He's good with that one deck and stuff. And before I met you, and we we did we actually we actually played in the in the team PT right? We played against each other. Yes, yeah. You're, you're in a modern player as the. Yeah, your teammates beat my teammates before we could finish, but you were ahead in game three. Yeah. You had Donny and Rest in Peace out on the table. Oh. I remember we were in a weird situation where you had only four lands, and I knew you had Cryptic up, and I had two Nature's Claims, but I needed to kill both your enchantments. So we were in this like draw-go, pass, stalemate kind of like building resources, trying to see if you know you would go first or i would but you weren't going to it was several turns so i knew i would lose eventually but my teammates had already lost to yours so i remember we just scooped it up after that yeah yeah casey i was was pretty broken but blue white actually had a decent matchup against it yeah it did i lost round one to a kci mirror i was gonna lose to you i didn't lose to anybody else at that pro tour yeah no i know and then then we kind of got to know each other and we were teammates in the, the second season of the, what was it called? The pro, the team pro. I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. It, yeah. It was when they had these teams of six, you just basically teamed up with five other people and you know, yeah. it was better if it was people who could play all the pro tours and we were sponsored by face face games. And I got to know Yuli much better that year. And you know, ever since, I mean, back then already, I was like, yeah, Ely's the best player on our team, myself in, myself included. And now okay. we're testing. What? That's very flattering. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> Thank you. I think, I think it was. And, um, and even now, I feel like, you know, it's probably like you, Jan, and, and Reed, I would say, maybe, are the, the three best player on the team. Wow. I'm honored to be even included. Yeah, so for you know, for those of you who maybe don't really know Ely or just saw him play, I mean, if you saw him play this weekend, you probably can tell he, he knows what he's doing. But yeah, and it's funny because we 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 kind of disagree about a lot of lines. He kind of have I feel like unconven- unconventional lines, or it feels like un- unconventional to me, but it kind of makes sense, or it kind of works out. And 
I've, I've gotten that from a lot of people I've collaborated with. I think I think about the game differently, and I don't know if that's better or worse, but I just think about it differently. And I actually like when you and I collaborate, even though we disagree on things, because it lets me see your side of things pretty well. Yeah. Except I'm probably not as nice about it than, than you are. I can get a little like intense and stuff. And you're I actually chill. think I actually think that's fun too because like you're very um, refreshing with your honesty. Nobody's ever gonna doubt. Like I wonder what Gab's thinking. You kind of <laughs> you, you, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I know sometimes I'm like, you know, I go and ask people in private message, I, I, was I okay? Was it too much? You know, was I being like, <laughs> usually people are like, no, you're fine and stuff. stuff. But Yeah, yeah I, I'm very hard to offend is what I always tell people too. Like I, yeah. I've got a pretty thick skin. The crowd I grew up playing with, I mean, you remember playing in the 90s, magic yeah. crowd sometimes be kind of toxic. Yeah, You would almost like have to take assaults randomly. And it was kind of like how you would fit in. And that's just sort of how your peers would bond with each other. Yeah. It was like choose somebody to pick on. Oh, you're the worst player. Everybody dogpiled on you for a little bit. And then you worked hard and became not the worst player. And then you were somehow dogpiling on somebody else. It was definitely not a good way to be. And I'm glad that environment has changed. But yeah, it certainly, certainly left its mark on people that were playing back then. No, yeah, it sounds familiar. And it's true that we still have this like kind of beats you know we're just always laying beats on each other kind of a thing and that kind of comes from yeah it was just part of it was it was just part of i don't know the game and how we how we interacted and stuff and it was nothing really mean it was just yeah it was the culture and the environment that we were a part of we don't we didn't set the tone for it we were just woven into it yeah so i want to know what what happened between you know your your the first part of your magic career when you had like a few good results but nothing great was it just that you didn't get to play as much and then you know since you came back quote unquote you've been crushing it and playing super well and i know some examples i have like the two that come to mind are brian kibler and antonino de rosa i didn't really know kibler that well in like the first part of his career but you know he had some good results but you know he was never considered like the greatest technical player and you know pretty good deck builder but he liked to play his decks and then Antonino I thought was just you know even though he had some success I thought he was kind of not very good and um so what changed basically well for them it's I think it's just they went to work for upper deck and they went to work into gaming design and they were basically playing games and thinking about games you know 24 7 or whatever and then when they came back to magic I I'm guessing that's that was like kind of a big difference because like when Kibler came back, he crushed it. He was super sharp. And Antonino, I was like, what the hell? How does how is Antonino playing so well? And he he never used to play that well. I think what changed for me was I used to be just a solo practitioner basically when I was young. There wasn't anybody of really substantial skill in the area near me, so I would be showing up to events just having done my own. Uh, work and research and I think once I grew to be part of teams and had collaboration I think that's when things really started to change because you almost need to be challenged a little bit and get other perspectives to add on to yours to ascend to that higher level yeah definitely where you lived was just a huge part of whether or not you'd be successful in magic if you look at back in the day I mean I lived in Paris big city was a lot of good magic players all the best French magic players 
it was the same in Germany. It was all from the, they were all from the same city and it was an emulation. And in the U S it was kind of in universities, I guess a lot. There's a few campuses where there's a bunch of good magic players, or maybe there was like a store or two across the country where a lot of people. So I went to my college campus magic club when I first started in the university when I was 17 and there was three people and they basically barely knew how to play the game. They were more like collectors than anything else. Yeah. Just like, yeah, this area was just dry, dry as could be for that kind of uh, competition. But there was competition if I was willing to drive an hour away and like three hours away. And I would go to these tournaments all the time and do a lot of PTQs. I was considered like a PTQ grinder for a while. And that's where I would really cut my teeth with some of the better players and develop my game some more. Yeah, it was the same for a lot of us, just driving every PTQ in driving distance. And sometimes driving distance meant, you know, eight hour, eight hour there, eight hour back. I'm, you know, I'm sure it was the same everywhere in the States. I'm sure people would drive eight, 10 hours to go PTQ. So, yeah. Weird to think about. We did that back then for peanuts, basically. But yeah, I just loved it, and we had time, and we could afford to go and stuff. What's good. the longest you've ever driven to a tournament, Harry? Ooh, that's a good question. Did you? Did you ever? You well, never first really off, I can't drive. drive. <laughs> yeah, but I my. I'm a license heater. To be fair, to be fair, the I I I when I was 16, I begged my um my dad to drive me to Birmingham which is like like a 3 4 hour drive i think from where i'm at yeah. but I, I to be fair i've done a lot of begging and like and and squeezing my way into these pptq cars in the past but i've never truly got gone somewhere far because the uk is quite small in comparison yeah. to like where you guys live yeah no, one time, I mean, I used to play PDQs when I didn't even think I could qualify because I didn't think my mom would let me go. And one time I just drove eight hours to PDQ with some friends, even though I was knew I was going to, you know, scoop to friends. And I just played the first, I started four or five and oh, and then I got paired against a, a, a couple of friends in a row and just scooped to them into top eight and they didn't even win scrubs. To I remember it was like this... Yeah. No, no, no. Keep going. Sorry. As just as it was like a Spanish player who who drove across the border who came and got our PTQ slot. So it was kind of a bust, but it was still fun, you know? I remember queuing for the PTs in London, Barcelona, and I was all between like the ages of 13 to 15. So like my mother made my uncle go with me to like chaperone me. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, first time I went to PT was to the U.S. I think I was 16 or 17. I had the the Real Brothers uh, chef yeah. on me. They, like, met my mom met them before and stuff. And then she was like, okay. I think I was 14 when PT London happened. And I roomed with Zvi Moshewitz and my uncle. <laughs> and Zvi, like, famously missed top eight on, like, a last round misplay. And it was like huge. And he actually um, stated that he thought my uncle snoring at night was what kept him from noticing the right play. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, was, I was like, damn. All right. Cool. Cool. 
the the worst thing I've done was there was a PPTQ and I and my parents wouldn't let me go, so I lied saying that there was like this big party that I wanted to go to, and they're like, okay, you can go to the party, and then I just went to the PPTQ, but it's nothing, funny. yeah, not nothing at the uh, level that you guys have done. Yeah, I lied. I was I wasn't allowed to play for a while, and I just kept playing and just kept flying. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to my friend's place every like <laughs> every night. Like, they kind of found out eventually, and they were like, okay, they kind of gave up, you know. And just I guess can't really stop him and stuff. So, but yeah, I asked my parents after I won the neon championship thing the other this weekend. I was like, when I was a kid. Did you guys like regard this game as like uh, something that was like impressive, worthwhile, a waste of time? Like, you know, how did you feel about it? And they said, "Well, we always thought you were just wasting your time with it." <laughs> I like, yeah, I kind of yeah. meant to ask my mom, you know, how she remembers the whole situation and these few years and stuff. Yeah, yeah. my parents had that like. Um, minority immigrant viewpoint like i should just be going to med school and yeah. you know doing a doctorate and then having kids like all other pursuits are like uh fads and that they're just gonna fade with time so 30 years later they're probably pretty surprised i still play yeah <laughs> want to talk about the tournament oh yeah that's what we're here to do <laughs> so how, how did you feel Testing went. How did you feel going into the tournament? All that stuff. Um, I think the alchemy testing being focused on by so many team members really killed it. Like I, I thought our deck was great and very well prepared for the metagame. Even though the metagame wasn't what we necessarily predicted, I think our deck still like stood the test of being a really well built deck. Uh, for historic, I felt really underwhelmed. Uh, I think we just like diverted to phoenix as like a fallback but i really liked your sideboard tech so knowing that we didn't just fold to food was a big difference so yeah. that was nice i personally went four and four in historic so i still feel like i could have found a deck that more suited me and would have been more up my alley i think and two of my uh, match wins were team kills so those never feel good and we're never proud of counting those so felt more like uh two and four to me yeah, and after day one, you were telling me you wish you played Jeskai. Jeskai actually did quite well in the tournament, and I do think it had a, a losing losing win rate against Phoenix, but it did quite well besides that. It did. Like, and anec yeah. Anecdotally, I didn't play against Phoenix, but that's certainly not something you can predict, and Phoenix was the number one deck, I think. Yeah. But maybe that's because 17 of us played it too, though. I don't, I don't know how that influences the data. Yeah, yeah, we 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 had Phoenix had a a losing record, but I think we had a winning record. We notably went I think six zero against Food. For those of you who don't know, we basically played stock blue red Phoenix, except we had four blue black pathways in the main, and four of the black red Saga hidden Sugu consumes all in the sideboard, and that card switched a food matchup around who that was like historically bad and was that card it was we didn't lose a, a match in playtesting we didn't lose a match against food in the tournament so it, it was the card was even kind of good for you against Jean-Emmanuel Depras playing the blue-eyed affinity deck so th that was that was kind of I was excited I was I was like I thought the alchemy we did we had a really good deck and I thought the phoenix deck you know 
it's still like historic and there's a lot of close matchups, but I felt like, okay, Phoenix Mayor is kind of 50-50. Hopefully a lot of people shop against food and we beat up on them. We should be okay against control because I feel like no matter what you do with control, you're almost always going to be an underdog to Phoenix. Oh, yeah. I think it was like three rounds in, Kai was saying in the Discord, because like a lot of us, I think, were 3-0 and or at least 2-1. and He was feeling like our Alchemy deck was so well positioned that a few of us stood the chance of top eighting, and he thought for sure one of us would win. And it's so funny he posted that, because then Brent and I both top eighted, and I won. So like his prediction yeah. came exactly true. Even though a few rounds later, he started to falter because as the day one started to end, we started to do worse, which I think was our historic results, sort of like not backing yeah. up. Even though some of us did better, but not all of us. I think the majority of us started to go down a little bit. But yeah. then day two, I feel like we just killed it as a team. Everybody really just rebounded and most of us started doing well again. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I went over in Alchemy and then I almost rallied in, in, in Historic, even though I got really lucky in round four, my opponent just misclicked the, the J-SPAC combo. That was kind of, kind of insane. Um, and yeah, I wish, in hindsight, I wish we had, I mean, I did work a lot on Ragdos. I wish people had kind of gotten on board. Ragdos actually ended up being one of the best decks in the tournament. And I think the problem is the way I had it built, I was not happy with the Phoenix matchup, but I had the the Sagas in the main deck, which actually doesn't make a ton of sense because basically we thought food was one of the best deck, but we also thought that not that many people would play it because people just rather play Phoenix or Control than play the food deck. And it's kind of what happened. It was 25% Phoenix, 20-something percent Control total, I think. And it was like 10% green like food. So I think you know the way the the the, the you know Zach Dunn and his teammates build the deck was kind of like our 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 deck in the last room and just four Arcanists, couple Chandlers, Croxa, and they just had the four Saga in the sideboard. I think that was good. They did they did have Ragdos did have a losing record against Phoenix. That was kind of my fear in testing. I was playing a cool deck. I thought I had four Daredevils in the sideboard for the Phoenix matchup. So with my build, what I was doing was I was boarding out the the Saga and then bringing in Daredevil and a few more cheap removal and some Lanterns. And that was kind of working well. So I think maybe that's that, that's why I would start for Historic anyways right now. But I'm, I'm not sure there's a ton of Historic coming up. I think there's an arena open this weekend or no, there's an MIQ, but I think it's limited. I think the arena open was a couple weekends ago, so probably not another one for a while. Yeah. Is there, you know, any matches you want to talk about in the, from the tournament? Anything that stood out or just um, how I don't you know. stood out? I mean, I really enjoyed the finals. My match with Zach Dunn, I thought, was um, pretty awesome to watch and a lot of intricate plays. The decks lined up really close to each other, I thought. And I don't know. I chose Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and I thought that was like a interesting choice. I think it really paid off, so I'm really happy I did it. And I think chat blowing up about it was also really funny. So that might be worthwhile to mention. Yeah, I felt like the first time you went in, into the Mad Mage, it was kind of whatever. Your I think it was a game where your draw was kind of perfect. You had something like 
turn one duress into double adventure into Nadar maybe and I felt like yeah. okay sure you know it makes sense and I think he's gonna get there but really probably wouldn't make a difference which which dungeon you you pick that game but in the I think the last game right the last game of the tournament what was that as clear cut do you, no. you agree with like what I said and then for the, that last game was it uh, the one I'm looking at is match two game two where I only had the two one on two and then I played Nadar on three. But before I even played Nadar, I'd attacked and chose the Dungeon Mage. Yeah. My opponent had played an Adventurer and then a Fable of the Mirror Breaker. And I didn't have any additional adventure in my hand, but I sort of, my psychology of it was that Zach was not going to let these adventurers live. The way the matches had played out before, he was respecting the venture ability and was really targeting those things. So if he didn't kill it on two and didn't kill it on three, I thought that his hand didn't have removal and that he instead was having a proactive hand because yeah. he had boarded that way before, boarding in Lisa's and extra planeswalkers. So I thought, here's another opportunity and maybe I can capitalize on it. And being on the draw, I felt like I had to take a little risk to pull ahead. And then sure enough, his hand ended up being like, a duel, the Takanuma, the vehicle, uh, the um, <clears throat> tainted black creature, the connoisseur. So I ended up being right with that gamble. So I just, I like that that paid off. Yeah, did you just feel like the way the matchup played out, the games usually went long and you needed to to get a little lucky and kind of play to your outs and that was your out, just get full value out of the first dungeon? Yeah, I knew that I needed the Mad Wizard's Lair specifically. I needed a draw three, and I needed to play something for free in order to just pull ahead. The way that their deck list was built was pretty excellent, because they have all this ramp from the Fable of the Mirror Breaker making treasures, and then they would just slam a Valky on the backside, and then it was just so hard to catch up. And that's how I lost the first match to Zach, even though it was top-decked. But I felt like if I had this, then I could potentially keep up with that. Like I needed my own go big, go over them plan while also still playing the grindy middle game in order to have something. And then like the loss of like extra two dungeonings, I think, between dungeon and then the middle one was not as big of a sacrifice, I felt. And then along the way, having like the draw two and the scry three, I also thought would contribute in work to like uh you know make the game state go the way that i wanted to yeah and and there was a lot of uh talk about your 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 chair looked really comfortable and also like kind of the lack of emotions are you are you are you always like that or you were telling me you were kind of tired i am i was definitely tired but I'm also a little blunted on the emotional side. And I would explain that just that I'm a psychotherapist. So I spend sometimes 10 hours a day listening to people pouring their heart out, talking about like very serious topics and heavy weighted things. And so I've almost just become a little bit, I guess, numb in expression. And that's sort of how I have to be as a therapist for them. Like they don't need me breaking down with them. You know, they need me somehow like helping them to navigate it. So I've sort of developed that in personality. And I don't know, it's also just like I've had a ton of that expression. And now I just feel like I can respond on the inside and I don't have to show it on the outside. Yeah. Dang. I guess doctors are, are that way a bit too. Yeah. 
Yeah. And also I really enjoy playing poker and I have a lot of <laughs> poker history. And uh, so, yeah, there's that too. That's so sick. Um, I yeah. guess, does that help you with, cause there's a lot of pressure, right? When you have a camera in your face and you're playing, did you did you feel much pressure in the top eight? Because I think that's quite a, something that most listeners won't really experience. I think most people explain that they do. Um, I don't. I, it, I think it's just because 30 years, lots of high-level events. Mm. I think when I was in person at the my first Pro Tour top eight, that's when I felt pressure. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, just behind the camera at home, I didn't really feel it. It didn't feel the same to me. And I don't have like a good articulation for why, but I just, I don't know. I wasn't nervous while I was playing this top eight. Yeah. I feel like I'm getting more nervous with the years, maybe because right now it's bigger part of my job and somewhat part of my income or just getting worse with the years. Maybe I was always kind of bad in, in, in you know, high, high six matches or in feature matches. And maybe I always played worse. I'm not sure. I don't know about that, Gab. I've I've watched your feature matches. I don't I don't see many misplays, but maybe uh, part of it is feeling like you have to live up to your old self. You're yeah. competing competing with the past you. Yeah. I, yeah. No. It's yeah. Maybe I get too too into my head. How how do you like playing on arena? You know, past years, obviously with COVID and stuff. How's it been well, for you? Obviously, it treated you really well. You know, you, you, you qualified for the Rivals, you finished first of the Rivals or second, you qualified for Worlds. Yeah, um, it has treated me well, although I think I'm much better in person than virtual just because the human element to me is an area where I think I always gain points. Mm-hmm. But uh, I like the velocity of Arena, the smoothness, the fast pace of it. It does speed things up tremendously, it being like a to me, better program than MTGO, even though I prefer the MTGO formats because I like the more eternal formats whenever Mm. possible. Yeah. But I definitely like the the smoothness and the fast pace, even just like the auto tapper. I get so spoiled on that when I go back to MTGO and I have to tap my own lands to play a spell. I'm like, this is the worst. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like Arena is better in that way, but the formats, the fact that you have leagues and challenges on on Magic Online and yeah. that part's that part's better yeah definitely pros and cons to both yeah so you're 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 going back to two worlds what was that the big prize i was saying we were doing coverage and i was saying that uh, i guess i can ask you before the top eight would you take would you rather get six plays guaranteed or just play the top eight out if you had a choice I thought about this, snapping off a top six or playing it out. So I would have had to O2 drop to not top six. Yeah, for, for uh, those of you who don't know, top six qualified for Worlds. So for the people, it was double elimination bracket. So meaning if you lost your first two matches, you were out in seven or eights and, you know, you, you were not qualified for Worlds. So I think I would have done the math and counted on myself not to O2 drop. So I think I would have chosen to play. Oh wow, yeah. I think I would have snapped off the, you know, the, the top six and not take the twenty five percent chance of uh, of getting knocked out. 
That's uh, weird. You're a, you're a very accomplished poker player. I'm surprised you wouldn't pick that. That it's like yeah, but not, you're talking about EV. I mean, I would have to look at the numbers, but I feel like the EVs clearly, you know, take take sixth place. So I feel like this is that old question. Like you're playing the World Series of Poker. It's hand one. Six people have gone all in pre-flop before you, and you have aces. <laughs> and do you call? Yeah, that's different. I think I, I, I don't know. I think I probably would. Even though the main event of poker, you know, it's so soft that maybe maybe it's like actually bad. Uh, I don't know. I mean, same thing. You'd have to think about it more and do the math and kind of. I definitely it out. think there's. I definitely think there's math involved. I just think it's so weighted in like a direction where you should take that risk. That yeah. Unless you don't really like have the confidence in what you can feel like you can reasonably do, then yeah. I feel like it just says to play it out. Is it cool. is it Jim Davis? He went fifteen and zero and then didn't make worlds, right? Yeah, he went twelve and zero, and then he, you get wins because you don't have to play the last three rounds, so it just counts oh. as wins. And he he does get to, you know, be top seed, play first, uh, pretty much throughout the the upper bracket, anyways. But yeah, he went twelve and zero, and then zero two on Sunday, and he was out and didn't qualify for worlds. So it's kind of the curse, you know, the undefeated in the Swiss curse. People almost always lose straight away. I think LSV did it, the, the PT where he went 16-0, lost in the quarters. I think maybe Ryan Fuller did it back in the day in the the, the block block constructed PT where he, he was 14-0 in the Swiss and lost in the quarters. There's like it's kind of uncanny. I mean, maybe if you look at the exact numbers, it actually just evens out, but definitely feels that way a lot of the time. Yeah, it's definitely a curse we all talk about and feel like it definitely exists. Yeah, maybe it's people putting too much pressure on them or just kind of freak, freak bad luck. Well, <laughs> there was an interesting announcement, I guess, throughout the tournament with the they're releasing Alchemy uh, exclusive cards, right? Maybe we want to talk about those? Yeah, they spoiled a few. They spoiled a few during the coverage. Really cool. Um, there's a, a cycle of cards where they cost, uh, you know, like four mana, but if there's a condition that's met, you can cause them for cheaper. I thought that cycle was pretty interesting. And the cards they pulled were cool. There was a new Grazer too. And uh, yeah, it's cards that are arena only on Alchemy. The problem is a lot of people think that, you know, people are just going to be priced out of Alchemy because it's cards that are, you know, maybe they're good enough for historic, but some of, some of them are mythic too. And it's kind of like an extra set and maybe an extra like 50 or 100 bucks you have to spend if you want the cards right away. It's also a set you can't draft. Hmm. So, yeah, I'm not sure if, if that part's great. You know, you already just, yeah. So that's 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 been one of the critiques you, you you you've been seeing a lot on on Twitter, anyways. Having cards that you can't play in physicality just feels weird to me. One of the people that posted on my, you know, post saying like, you know, I had one. We're like, oh, that's so awesome. My uh, husband wants to get a copy of the deck you played in in person and play it with his friends. I was like, oh, you can't. There's cards that don't exist in person. I was like, that just feels weird to me. <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah. I mean, yeah. to me, it just seems like, to be honest, 
they're making so many formats. I feel like they're just making so many formats. Like Pioneer, Historic, Brawl. There's so much to keep up with, in my opinion, at least. And to me, I, you know, obviously being really busy with uni, I literally have no clue what cards are in Alchemy, you know? And uh, the fact that they're adding more cards, making it more expensive. I mean, going back to Magic Arena, I feel like it would cost me hundreds, or at least a lot of my time, to um, to get these decks and potentially play with them. Yeah, have seen that complaint online as well that a lot of people are feeling like this is a grab to get people to try to get more wild cards. Yeah, yeah, I think in a in a vacuum it's good. I like that they're trying to use the arena sides, but how you know how do you tie it in? Is it too much? Are you spreading the player base too too thin? And there's that. You know, I mean, in theory, it could just be okay. I'm not gonna play every format, and but there's, I guess, there's that weird fear fear of missing out in some ways, maybe where people are like, oh, I gotta, you know, keep up and stuff. Also, if if you have PTQs or qualifiers in in all these different formats, then maybe you feel like you have to try and keep up as well. So yeah, I'm not sure. I'm kind of, I usually just kind of trust other people's opinion, or I don't really have a strong opinion about that because I'm a, I'm a streamer and yeah, you know, I don't mind getting the cards part of my job and stuff. So I, I feel like I don't have greatest, greatest perspective or. Well, I do, like, I do like that. There's the emergence of these like deck rental sites. I feel like that's enabled a lot of people to be able to keep switching up the cards that they play without having like a $10,000 moto collection and things like that. But yeah. with arena, with Arena, you don't have a trading option. You can't help your friends to facilitate play. So that part just feels a little bit weird to me. Yeah. Uh, there's a load of things that I dislike about Arena that I feel could be easily solved. But the problem is, right, is that we complain about this structure, but it works. Like, people do spend 100 bucks for these alchemy cards. People do pay, for, you know what I mean? So it's like, why should they change it if it works for Wizards? And I think that's the problem. Well, I think that's actually easy to answer, and Sperling answered it in a pretty easy way, too, when we mm -hmm. had this discussion with Wizards, and it was just simply, yes, it works, but you're also leaving money on the table. You could do it even better and have even more. So, like, why do something that works and not just do something great that works more? Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it's been the same same thing for past 10, 15, 20 years, you know, are are they are they is wizards and magic doing well because of their decisions or the, despite their decisions just because they have you know the the golden goose and you know obviously the the people who make the cards I think are really talented and really good so you know is it somewhere in somewhere in the middle because you know you got to think a big part of why magic so popular is just because they were the first one right it was the first one first TCG that, that really took off or even really the first one that was created and that was kind of like they, they were able to kind of snowball but mm -hmm. that's an interesting perspective I'm not sure I, it, it's a really complicated problem and it's like a lot of the a, a lot of there's a weird priorities I feel like in WotC because there's a load of gaps in arena and is it even released as an official game yet or is it still in beta like, I'm not sure, but I do feel like 
the software is not really getting better, you know? It feels yeah. like they have to put all their resources just keeping up with the new sets mm-hmm. and they don't they don't have the manpower to to improve a lot of the different aspects and yeah. I agree. They're probably focusing on the right things from a business perspective, like the things that bring in financial gain and benefit, but other things are just getting left to like the last minute sometimes and it hurts the players, but players aren't leaving. So I guess that's not an area where they need to like pay a lot of money to have more staff to supplement. There was also this awkward controversy before the tournament where there was a bug with Magma Opus and Shatter Skull Smashing, I believe? Yeah, which ended up being overblown. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it wasn't a big deal. I'm not even sure it impacted a single game in the tournament. They thought that if it had multiple targets and then something was disrupted from one of the targets, that the remaining targets wouldn't get dealt damage by the spell. Mm-hmm. Shatter Skull Smashing and Magma Opus. But then they later realized it only actually did that if there was a spell on the stack over top of it as well, a lot more narrow of a situation. And I agree with Gab. I I didn't hear about it happening once. I was more worried about connection issues to server. There had been like a lot of uh, bugs. There was like a sideboard bug where you couldn't sideboard in some cases because I think basically what happens is that the connection to the server when you play arena, it's kind of fragile. So if you don't have great internet, you can kind of lose connection pretty easily and arena doesn't handle it well at all. The thing that had me extra concerned, because it happened a lot when we were testing, was my arena would disconnect, but it would look like my match was still going and my opponent's clock timer would still go down, but it was me that was disconnected. Yeah. And by the time I realized like the blue bar that circles their uh, emoticon, wasn't coming up and then I realized it was me and I would try to like immediately disconnect and reconnect. And by then I had skipped turns. I'm like, if this happens in the event, like there's just nothing I could do about it. And it could even happen in the pro tour top eight. Yeah. Thank goodness it didn't. I think it's the same for everyone. You don't realize you're the one disconnected. You see the yeah. opponent's time. Go down. What happened in the, I think it was in the very last game where the, the game froze for a second from on the broadcast like i think your webcams were still going but the game was frozen so i'm not sure it was oh i didn't i didn't know anything about it uh, i haven't finished re-watching it from the the people maybe watching it, it was probably just their feed then their then they get for discord yeah i didn't notice anything in the gameplay while i was yeah. playing so must have been on the wizard's side yeah my uh, camera on some of these feature matches, it'll like not stay in place. It'll slip and I'll have to readjust it. So it'll randomly like just shoot to the ceiling. And that happened a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. I was I was worried they would ask people it was not the best internet to be a feature match. And that the fact that they had Discord open streaming on top of having Arena open would be too much for their computer. And it would, but I, I know they ask players their kind of re, um not a requirement but you know the, how good their internet is and how good their desktop or laptop is and maybe that's you know that's why they ask to make sure they don't strain def- someone's connection and stuff you're definitely right and it had it had happened to me in a previous i think either league weekend or a different set championship where i had a feature match and it disconnected me because i just couldn't handle it and had to restart my computer yeah yeah 
But yeah, I feel like it went pretty smoothly, and uh, I thought the the coverage got a little more viewers than usual. Not not a ton more, but maybe in an extra 10, 20% compared to some of the past championships. So that was good to see. I think the players had had more fun testing new formats that the viewers enjoyed. The Alchemy games were really cool, kind of, you know, standard-ish magic, pretty pretty grindy, pretty good games back and forth. And the fact that there's not too many busted cards, like your matchup against Zags, like of was a lot of you know two four ones, but not not super snowbully. Even a card like you know when during Emperor, it's not like you lose the game when they untap it with it and use it a couple times. So I think that was that was what would contributed to even you know kind of relative success, I guess. I agree. I absolutely loved the alchemy portion and disliked heavily, I'd say, the uh, historic component. But the alchemy was just such great gameplay the whole time. There were so many different lines and avenues and not a thing that would just come and blow you out of the water because they drew it. Yeah. So that was really nice to see. So we, we talked about it a bit earlier, but how do you how do you balance everything? It feels like you're probably just don't you know you don't waste a second of your day almost you just work and then the free, the little free time you have you know you obviously have your family and then after that is it just all magic yeah well i don't waste a second of my day i think you're right about that i pretty much am running from this to that to that and do, have do my... you know what youtube is or netflix is youtube netflix <laughs> ever heard of them <laughs> You know, I get to watch a little Netflix before bed. It's usually like one 30-minute episode or something, and then it's usually got a crash. Yeah, uh, I never go on YouTube, like ever, ever. So that one never gets yeah, anywhere. That's, that, that's good. I used to never go on YouTube either, and I've started going. I need to get busy, yeah. I'm sure there's good stuff on there. I just don't have yeah. the time to sink into it. Uh, how do I manage it all? I mean, luckily I have a uh, great support. My wife, she is like, uh, really become this great, uh, caretaker of our kids while I'm active. And she even like keeps them from busting into like my, uh, my setup and station while I'm in a feature match. Although sometimes my daughter finds a way to slip by. <laughs> yeah. She comes in and goes, Ghost Pumpkins, Ghost Pumpkins. She's really into Halloween-themed cartoons right now. So that'll happen. And sometimes I'll end up playing a match with her on my lap. I, I played a couple matches in day two of this PT with her on my lap, her watching on the other screen. <laughs> no way. Really? Yeah. yeah. Doesn't yeah. she... Did you tell me she like unplugged the computer the other day or something? <laughs> Yeah, we were testing and she likes to go behind the computer station and then there's this one button that turns it all off and since <laughs> she likes to push buttons, she always goes like, ooh, and then she, she pushes it. Like, and you no. weren't worried like she would like tab the keyboard or pass or I don't know. So with the day two one, I kept her on my lap so that she couldn't go behind the station. So that was intentional. Yeah, but, but what I about like her reaching the maybe the keyboard or... So I, I put her on my left leg and I hold her with my left arm and then I piloted the match with my right arm. <laughs> it was definitely a balancing act. <laughs> That's so unreal. Did you win that match? Yeah, well, it was day two. I only lost one match and that was a feature, so I couldn't hold her for that one. Yeah. I'm sure people have loved it. 
Yeah, they might have. The kid, the kid on teacher. <laughs> She's adorable. I feel like she would definitely win over a lot of people with her adorableness. But yeah, she couldn't uh, couldn't be there for that one. Luckily, my wife picked up and yeah. helped out. And do, do you play a lot of Magic outside of the, the big tournaments? I know you're playing a, a turn this weekend, actually. Yeah, I'm playing the SCG in Indianapolis. It's a team event that's Pioneer, Modern, Legacy. I'm going to be the Legacy seat uh, alongside Corey Baumeister and Pete Ingram. So pretty sweet team. Who Pete still plays? Yeah. So right before COVID hit, there was a team open that the three of us played in. It was the January right before COVID really shut things down. You guys won, right? Yeah, and we won. So this is the first team event now that COVID's off the menu, basically. So we're trying to run it back as essentially the the awesome. theme to us teaming it up. So yeah, cool, cool. yeah. I uh, I try to play when possible, and it's usually the thing I do to fill my mornings if I wake up and everybody's still asleep. I wake yeah. up around five a.m. most days, so I usually have like two or three hours to myself before people get up. And yeah. sometimes I'll answer emails or do notes for work, but a lot of the times I'm like queuing up a league or something like that and just playing. And most of it, it's to have fun. I'm not doing it to try to keep skills sharp or honed yeah. or anything like that. But yeah, it's still a game I love. And now I've mixed in a little more poker since I figured out how to do that online. But uh, before last week, I hadn't had that option because for a long time it was just uh, not accessible from where we are. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's maybe one of my problems that since it's my job, it's not as, not always as fun as it used to be. It it was really fun testing this time around, but then the week leading up to the tournament, I didn't play that much with our decks. I didn't like play some on the ladder or get get some more practice because I don't know. So I feel like, I mean, I, I guess I do still play a lot, so that's good, but sometimes it feels like maybe uh, I, I lose a bit, um, you know, I, I get maybe burned out or I don't don't feel like testing as much for a big tournament. I tell my clients all the time, if I was a chef, the last thing I would do is come home from work and then cook dinner. Yeah. Nobody wants to do what they do for a living and then come home and no. do it some more. Yeah, no, I think it's the same for, for everyone. I know when I used to play poker for a living, I would never never ever want to play poker with my friends you know they would play like for fun you know like super low stakes and that was literally the last thing i I wanted to do even when i see my friends now they they like to like you know they all have real jobs and when they see each other they they like to just play board games and whatnot and i just when i go i don't even play with them i just hang out with them and talk and i don't even feel like playing games and stuff i just well that's the whole fun of it for us now it's just spending time with our friends and the actual game itself isn't as important as it used to be, even though it's the thing that first bonded us together. Yeah. It's weird how that evolution happens as you get older. Yeah. Weird. It makes sense, but yeah. Yeah. What about you, Harry? Do you do math for fun? Uh... (laughs) Oh, that's funny. No, um, no, I mean, thinking about that, like that kind of applies to me because I really dislike playing, um, board games with friends too because i feel like they're playing it for fun whereas i like i we've been reprogrammed to play board games as optimally as we can so it's like to me it's a different type of activity now you know it's not really 
whatever. But do I do maths for fun? No. <laughs> that was a stupid question. Heck yeah. No. Yeah, no, we're we're definitely really competitive and that reminded me of like when I have a child client and they pick a board game that they want to play at the office. Sometimes they pick checkers. Some people even pick chess. And even if the kid's like eight or ten, I just absolutely slaughter them. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I don't have like a, a hold back mechanic. Like this is the smart play. I just like instantly do it. And they always like run out to their mom or something like, how'd it go today? We played chess. Like, oh, how'd you do? And I feel like they're expecting their kid to say, I won. And thinking like, you know, whoop. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're good. I, I think that's good though. I think, I mean, Huey's talked about it before where, I mean, I don't know if it's a good thing in the long run, but I think it is to just not take it easy on kids when you play games. He said he used to play, I think it was chess was his dad and, you know that what motivate, motivates you to to get better and stuff and they do train us to do it that way because you want to make sure the alliance between you and the client is rock solid and that they don't think any part of you is fake yeah and if they discover later that you're letting them win then it like disappoints them and hurts the alliance but yeah. that's like most counselors don't actually put into practice when they're doing it just because like it's against our cultural etiquette but I'm just so hardwired to try to win at games that I'm like, just crush this little kid, crush that little kid. <laughs> this one kid, he he came in and played Connect Four with me, and for some reason I've played a lot of Connect Four. <laughs> he's like, I'm really good, and I'm like, all right, great. I look forward to the challenge, and I like destroyed him. And he kept coming back week after week because you know that's the way you schedule your sessions anyway. And he said like he was studying and practicing Connect Four, trying to beat me just again and again. And he tried for months and then could not do it. And I felt really bad. I'm like, man, maybe I should just let him win one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Connect Four is a solved game, right? You 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 always win if you go first, if you know what you're doing, or is it always a draw? I think it's always a draw. Okay. If everybody if everybody makes the optimal play at all times, first you start with the middle play, second person goes left or right of center, third person stacks on top of the middle, back to the original person, goes on top of the two stack on top, and you just end up ruining everybody's plays from there. Nobody yeah. can actually form anything connective. <laughs> I love how we've resorted to discussing Connect Four theory. This is sick. Yeah. No, it's funny because we got a game. Uh, a lot of the the Twitch partner they got that Christmas, you know, package from Twitch, and there's a game of Connect Four in it. Oh, nice, nice. The package I didn't, I didn't get. <laughs> <laughs> we were at an open one time. I forget where it was, but I had I I think I won this one or I top aided. And then the team went out to one of those mystery room things or escape the room things. Mm -hmm. And we were all in the waiting room because we had purchased a room and waiting our turn. And they had this gigantic size Connect Four. And so, like, people were playing and it was just like commenting, like, no, no, go there. No, no, you don't want to do that one. <laughs> it's yeah. just like a lot of fun, just flexing different skills that you pick up. And I really didn't play much Connect Four until I became a therapist because that's just a kid, a lot of. A game a lot of kids like to play, surprisingly. So yeah. weird to think you get good at that from becoming a therapist. Yeah, no, I mean, I've got I've got plenty of stories of school, absolutely schooling mates because they're like, oh yeah, I'm I'm good at chess. I'm like, okay, let's go. 
you know, checkmate and eight or whatever. And then, like, there was one story. I played against a guy on chess, and then he would, I beat him, and then the, at my university, and then, like, everyone was like, no, 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 you got to play against this guy. You'll lose. And I played him in, like, a 16-move game. I've also done, like, oh, there, there's loads of bad ones. There, I think it was, like, poker was the worst one, to be honest. It's like, I, I haven't played a lot of poker, but I've, you know, read into it. I watched a lot of Twitch and stuff. It's just like, everyone's like, you must be cheating or whatever. I'm like, I don't know. It's just like you said, it's hardwired to just like play what you think is the best move and kind of take it. To, uh, the problem is I take, take it too seriously because I feel like it's like my thing, right? It's like, he's the board game guy. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I can't let, I can't let that reputation die. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, we're playing a lot of Magic, you become pretty good at just breaking down how a game works. Like, I feel like when I play with my friends, the first time we play a new game, I'll, I'll, I feel like I win, you know, a disproportionate amount of the time. But then they're pretty good too, you know, and they're smart and they figure it out and it gets closer and stuff. But you're just usually pretty good at figuring out what matters and what's a good strategy and stuff. Yeah, the game theory of it starts to become the thing I think we internalize the more we play Magic and how it applies to just every other game, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess we, we didn't talk much about Modern. You said Corby was your teammate. I'm assuming he's going to be playing Grixis Shadow. Um, well, now that Luris is banned, I think he's thinking about pivoting. So, might Really? Be I'm guessing yeah. he's going to play Shadows region. That's the deck that actually won the, the big PTQ on Magic Online. It was Grixis uh, Shadow was region. That's what people have been doing. Now that Lurus is gone, and it, it looks strong. And I think in the finals, there was a four-color Yorion Omnath deck, but was slightly different take. I think it had Teferi here of Dominaria in the deck. I sent Corey like uh, an earlier version of that list because yeah. somebody had played it even before Luris was banned, just theorizing that this could even be better. And I sent it to him, and he kind of felt like it was worse and more susceptible to some of the strategies that he wanted to make sure that he could beat. So I think he just wants to be on creativity. I think he feels like it has a better four-color matchup. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the target that he's expecting. Yeah. I don't know, I'm not a big fan of the creativity deck. I feel like it's a little flawed and maybe not super consistent. I'm still a fan of Omnath. I played. I actually got to play a challenge this weekend because uh, I didn't. I mean, I didn't make day two, and it's the same pattern as the entire year so far in the challenge. I just started off well. I was four and one, and then I timed out a match where I needed another ten seconds to win. It would have been five one. It was eight rounds. I ended up. Or seven rounds, eight rounds. Anyways, I ended up like four free or five free, and I still think four color on that runs like really, really good deck. And I feel like I pretty much only lose when I make mistakes or get unlucky. I think it's just well rounded. I was at SCG Philly the week before Luris's band, I think it was. It was mm -hmm. like the last modern event, and I played uh, green white robots. And I went 9-1 with it, just playing against tons of Grixis, because Welding Jar was just so good in that deck. And uh, they top four chopped, so we didn't get to play it out for anything. But it was uh, just such a powerful deck. 
I really liked it in the Grixis metagame, but with Luris getting nerfed, and you didn't actually utilize Luris that much, even though it, the deck played it, but them not being on Grixis a lot, like having them be on Omnath more often now hurt the deck, just because Prismatic Ending and Solitude don't really care about Welding Jar. So yeah. like my, my deck got nerfed because a Cardinate got nerfed, but not because the deck lost value, but because the metagame shifted as a result of it. Yeah, yeah. That that white green deck went one and two in a challenge a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know if it was a fluke or decks just probably just not played very much. So you don't see as much of it. But I played in a league today. I, I played against it. I lost it. They also got the new automaton one one four two ward two that gets a yep plus one plus one counter whenever you cast an artifact. Most lists are playing four copies of that now, and I think it's pretty good because you do kind of want to just go all in on a creature and then see if they have the removal or not. So the ward two yeah. is so huge. Yeah. One deck I haven't played since the new cards is Living End, but I think I would be a little worried to play Living End if Grixis is still popular. I think that's one of the reasons I stopped playing the deck in the first place. The Grixis matchup was so between discard Ragavan's counter spells, graveyard hate, Pharaoh was all much. I, yeah, I think Living End is putting up good results online too. There's a streamer that plays the deck nonstop, and he was like the second trophy leader for a while during that big modern race for trophies. Yeah, the Brazilian Menina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the deck yeah. is 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 so strong, so powerful, but it's also. I mean, it gets naturally hated on a lot by just, yeah. I do think that deck's pretty powerful, though. I think it also has a decent four-color matchup since they don't play a lot of, like, sweep effects. And even if they did, you have grief to really just take the right cards out of their hand. Yeah, yeah, you can beat any, yeah, you can have just the ridiculous grief or some negation into turn for living and draw, like, okay, you've played Two spells while setting up your combo and bring a bunch, much, bring back a bunch of creatures. That seems fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be cool to see uh, some of the the live metagame and see if there's anything new that comes up. But um, yeah, I don't think there was anything too too crazy, honestly, this past weekend. Despite the the lure span, it was a. Uh, I think it was a lot of the same, you know, Hammer Time was at Lurus, Grixis Shadow was Merc Time instead of Lurus, still a bunch of four colors. Some, I think some it, takes a lot of, it takes a lot of time for people to wrap their brains around an evolved format and figure out how to break it again. Although the cool things I find is sometimes they'll ban a card and then people will find a way to break a deck even more than before when the different card was legal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that's not going to be the case with a deck like Grixis Shadow. We're going to find out that, like, oh, maybe not firm for Murktide region, but oh, maybe having, you know, two or three regions, having access to maybe a Liliana of the Veil and a Jace or Liliana of the Last Hope. I, I don't know. Who knows? Street, street Wraith, too. I mean, just getting a Shadow online earlier. Yeah, Street Wraith. I, I'm a little skeptical that will happen with Grixis Shadow, but. I feel like the um, Hammer Time deck didn't really. I felt like Lurus was not that scary out of the Hammer Time deck in the past. Basically, ever since they got Urza Saga, maybe, and they have other things to do with their mana and more more mid and late game, they don't they don't use Lurus as well. And 
I think that always depended on the matchup because any deck that was playing control was definitely worried about the Luris. It was the thing you would do on that turn where you thought maybe a sweeper was coming. But yeah, I don't think it lost a ton against the more top tier decks that people are, are leaning towards. Yeah, I mean, people were already cutting Luris from, not everyone, but some people were cutting Luris from Hammer Time to play Nettle Cyst and Caldera Complete and whatnot. Was that Eyelash's technique? I think it was originally, I forget the name, it was some like, I think Portuguese name that won, won a challenge, it was a blue-eyed version, it was um, no, no Luris. One of the cards I haven't played with at all yet, but I'm excited to see in play is the reality chip. Yeah. Because my favorite modern deck is actually the Grinding Station Breach deck. And since it's legendary and it turns on Mox Amber and it's blue, so it replicates with Emery. Yeah. That's got me that's got me pretty excited because you can turn two chip amber into Emery with no turn one play. Yeah. Yeah, I have a, I have a, a sub of your Dr. Tiguity who plays that deck a lot and he played it before the reality chip and um, yeah, I, I think it's it's really good was for the reasons you, you mentioned. So yeah, it's definitely going to give the deck a pretty sweet angle. Like before you had to play Ragavan and Emery and Amber would never cast one off the other. <laughs> so it'd be the nut if you would draw the one Springleaf drum because you'd turn one that and then you'd play Rag and then Amber and then turn that into an Emery. But it took so much extra work to get there that it was just so inconsistent. Yeah. Plus just like the reality chip's other ability of knowing what's on top when you can grind yourself most of the time. Or even just like putting it on something else and just playing off the top. Both things are just insane synergies for the deck. Yeah, no, that, that card's been, I've been playing with that card a bit and I tried it in Historic. People have been obviously playing it in Hammer Time and in Modern. And yeah. That surprised me a lot when I saw it in Hammer Time, but it makes sense, I guess. Yeah, I've definitely lost to it already a few times. Yeah. I personally tried a load of Obosh decks because although I've been. Grinding my dissertation, I thought, you know what, maybe the leagues will be quick, but both Albosh decks that I tried, I sadly went, like, 2-3 with. Um, both decks were mono-red, trying to lean in on Blood Moon, as well as, like, an interesting mana base with, like, uh, Den of the Bugbear, as well as 4 Blast Zone in both lists, and, you know, any deck that I played that had any sort of one-drops I destroyed because of Blast Zone and all the removal, but... Um, I feel like Albosh as a companion, I think I cast it in two leagues. I think I literally cast Albosh like twice. So yeah. were you playing the three mana Chandra? No, I wasn't. That's actually interesting. Interesting. If you question. look at the Canadian face to face um tour, you'll see that somebody won with a mono red list probably about six months ago. And that was their theme. It was Obosh, Mono Red, and the three drop palm was just what you're describing, but also three mana Chandra which helped them to like ramp into their plays and do what they wanted to do. It was a lot like, um, what's that ability where all your creatures get, it was a lot like the prowess deck, but it was mono red build instead. And then obviously utilized like blast zone and stuff like that too. And then yeah. they were prepared for core firewalkers with like pirate spell bombs and things like that. So it tried to be more of like a mono red, uh, mid rangey type control deck. 
that had these bombshells like Blood Moon to get people. Yeah. Dang, that's that's a really sick idea. I was just ripping. Um, I saw there was a few five. Uh, there was a five in the deck dump from. I forgot their name yeah. now, but the mono red. I mean, guy it's, it's kind of like the M M Hayashi. Him, special. yeah, that was it. I copied yeah. his list. Season Pyromancer, Blood Moon, kind of yeah. You're 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 more of a major instinct than. Is that M Hayashi Ricky? I'm I don't know sure. who 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 it is, but it's their magic online name. It's M Hayashi. There's a Ricky Hayashi that used to judge a lot of SCG opens. No, no, I doubt it. I, I, I can't see him just jamming a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that exactly, Gabe? Let's let's hear your. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like he looks like the kind of guy that spends a ton of time playing Magic online. But I could be wrong. Fair enough. True. True. Okay. Well, should should we put our life on the lines or <laughs> play old prices right? I do have uh, to be up in six hours to do my dissertation, so I'd love to. All right, let's wrap it up. Awesome. Um, I guess, uh, Ely, you haven't. Have you listened to the podcast before? I listen to one. Um, no, I don't usually have the time. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, no but yeah, basically, at the end of every episode. Uh, I don't think there's any point in doing Life Alone. We'll just do Prices Right. Basically, we just choose a card that we've talked about today, and um, we everyone guesses a price together, and then whoever's the closest uh, wins. It doesn't have to be... It's not the strict rules. It's just closest rather than if you're above, you lose. And obviously, we use Card Market, our sponsor, to uh, check the price of the card. I guess the only thing is we got to... You know... Eli, you you love your classic card. Just pick it, you know, any card that you think would be cool to guess the price of. Nadar. Nadar. Okay. Nadar. So this is what the three mana vigilance guy. Yeah, I think it's a rare. Just oh my D &D gosh, D and D rare. It's probably it's gonna be pennies, right? Yeah, we have to get into the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, and uh, the price is in euros, by the way. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go high. I'm going to say I bumped the price. I'm going to say one euro. Well, you're supposed to hold her. We are all supposed to say the guess at the same time. <laughs> oh, my no, bad. No, it's okay. It's okay. All right. I'm going to go 65 cents. I'm, I'm going to go I'm gonna go 20. 20 cents. 20, oh, I thought it was 20 euros. No, I'm not guessing 20 bucks. No way. No way. Okay. Nedar on cardmarket.com. Costs. What did you guess, Gav? 65 cents. Okay, well, the price trend is 50 euro cents over the past 30 days. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Were you hoping the price went up because you did well with it in Alchemy, so it would like maybe like make it... To be fair. For standard? This isn't one of those times where I bought him out on... <laughs> to be fair it was 20 euro cents before the tournament oh wow what? okay so uh, you're, you're you, you right. doubled the price 2.5x the price <laughs> insider yeah we don't allow insider trading on our team we're not allowed <laughs> to speculate on the cards awesome at well, least not that you know of <laughs> 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 that, 
that's not a laugh I want to hear from a psychotherapist. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I guess to wrap up the episode, you know, uh, Eli, why don't you let everyone... Eli. Eli. Oh, is it Eli? Oh my gosh, sorry. Have I been that's getting true. it wrong all episode? No, I don't think so. Okay. Just, just, again, maybe. just a few times. I really don't oh, mind. Sorry, it's it's sorry. fine. It is spelled Eli, <laughs> so it makes sense. Yeah. Um. But yeah, sorry, why don't you remind all the listeners... Uh, where they can find you on the internet sure uh facebook under my name just how it's spelled e-l-i-k-a-s-s-i-s and on twitter i'm eli.cassis1 so that's uh the two best places to reach me on twitch i'm twitch.tv forward slash eli cassis again but i haven't been streaming too much so you might not catch me there very often but if you give me a follow there might be the occasional time i hop on and just do something Awesome. What about you, Gab? Yeah, same as usual. Twitch.tv slash Yellowhat. I have a YouTube channel, Yellowhat2, and on Twitter, at Gab Nassif. Awesome. You can find me getting names wrong whilst I edit the uh, podcast after this, but honestly, no point in shouting out my socials. Um, so just go check out these two. They're actually making content, unlike me. But um, yeah, you know we really want to thank you for coming on and spending your time with us because you do seem like probably the busiest person I think I've ever met in my life. So, you know, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on as a guest. Sure. Oh, I forgot one more thing too. Uh, oh, yeah. I write for face-to-facegames.com too. So if people want to check out articles that I write. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Wow. That's hey. actual yeah. content. Any last shout outs to, I don't know, anyone? Well, I could do Team BCW, who's our excellent sponsor and good group of guys that I play with. And uh, obviously Team CFB, who we tested with. Awesome group and really largely responsible for my my win here. Cool, cool, cool. Well, yeah, it was great having you on. Thanks again. And I guess uh, we'll see everyone next time. Take care. and I hope everyone has a great week. Thanks for having me on as well. Same, same here. Catch you guys later. All right, later.